turn in your Bibles, we're going to be looking at a verse of Scripture, probably a lot of people only look at during the resurrection season, but it has bearing in what we're doing here. We've been looking at the seven qualities of maturity. We've looked at steadfast, patience, calm, peace. Now we've been taking on joyfulness. We saw that many Christians' spiritual walk and development is hindered because they have substituted a flesh joy for what God intended to sustain spiritual attitudes. Spiritual actions, those things are only sustained through spiritual joy. So we've got to learn what spiritual joy is. Many times religious people think that their flesh joy is spiritual joy. It is not and it won't sustain you. You can maintain the Christian attitudes for a little while, but you will hit a limit. And then they don't, they don't work anymore. You lose patience. You lose the joy. You lose the, pace, uh, the peace. You lose the calm and the other things that we'll, we'll get into here. But your level of joy does not depend on your circumstances, your possessions, your family, your friends, your happiness level. Natural human joy does, but not spiritual joy. And as promised, we're going to take a look at how to live in spirit-based joy and how to feed it even in a trial. That's the big thing. When you get into a trial, it seems like it's tough. That's when we tend to, to lose patience with the people around us. We lose patience with things. People throw stuff. <laughs> You know, vases get tossed across the room, uh, things like that, you know, <clears throat> because we've hit our limit and our joy has been disrupted. So there are so many examples of this in Scripture. I'm going to try and limit about, uh, to, to probably just two. We'll look at one this week and then one next week so that you can get an idea of it. I'll give you um, some other people, throw them out there to you. But there's really actually quite a few people that you could look at as examples for this. And hopefully once you see this, you'll be able to go in there and find it yourself. But in Matthew chapter 26, if you want to turn there or look up on the screen, we're of course reading from the New King James Version. That is a favorite one of mine. If you have a different version that you like, there are some other ones that are out there that are good too. If you like the King James Version, if I read the New King James, you can usually still follow along pretty well. But I still like the New King James better. If you have the NIV, throw it out. Get one that's... Uh, not <laughs> Well, I don't tell people to throw out the NIV as much as I do some other translations, but um, you'll still lose some accuracy in the NIV and uh, some of the other modern translations that are, that are out there. But uh, I like the New King James. It works for us here. So we're going to look at that in verse 31. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Now, how would you respond? If Jesus told you something like that and he's speaking directly to you and then quotes scripture. He doesn't just tell you, he's, quote, he's quoting scripture. He quotes a prophecy that he is saying, this is dealing with you. Would that get your attention? I can get my attention. Mm-hmm. All of you, that's all the disciples, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Now, just a side note, who's striking the shepherd? Doesn't say, does it? Is God going to strike his son? <laughs> But it says, I will strike the shepherd 
and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Well, I'm sure you'll find, probably find a bunch of opinions on this. Some people might think, think it's God, and some people might think it's the devil. Some people uh, sin. Uh, it can be all, all sorts of things. But here's the end result of it. The sheep will be scattered. Something is going to happen to the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. Hold on to that thought, because I want you to remember what Jesus says. Those are the words that he speaks. That's really all that they needed, is what he spoke right there. They could have done a whole lot of things just with what he said. They didn't. And many times we have done the same thing. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Now, no one here has ever thought they are wiser than God, right? No one here has ever thought that. God says something in his word, we immediately say, of course that is true, and we just live like that, right? Uh, no. We question it as well. So Peter here immediately questions, oh, no, no, you don't know what I'm made of. Uh, all these guys, they may, they may fall by the wayside, but not me. No, sir, we're here for you. Jesus said to him. Now, the first time he said to who? To them. He said to all of them. First one was to them. Now he's speaking to Peter. If Peter had kept his mouth shut, <laughs> this would not be here. Peter is only isolated with this because he opened his mouth. If John would have opened his mouth, he would have had something different to say to John. But he's saying, no, 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 uh, that won't happen to me. There's a whole lot of Christians out there who make faith declarations, have nothing to back it up. And then Jesus speaks this to Peter. Uh, no, you're going to deny me three times. Not just once. Three times you will deny me. Oh, I don't, I don't receive that unbelief. And we try and rebuke it. You can't rebuke it when you make a statement and you can't sustain it. Peter's making a statement. He believes he can sustain this. A lot of Christians who make faith statements thinking they can sustain it. But they're unaware of where they actually are. Jesus is fully aware of where they are. But surely I say to you that this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. So, they think they're on Jesus' side. They think we, we believe in him. We're proclaiming our loyalty. We're making faith statements when they are actually resistant to the word that Jesus is speaking. Many times Christians have heard the Holy Spirit speak to them about a situation and have become resistant to it because they feel like it's against their faith statement. What God is trying to, God is trying to help you with or what the Holy Spirit is trying to help you with is let you know you're not where you think you are. You're making this statement, but you're not, you're not there yet. Now, I'm trying to help you with where you are. But if you keep rebuking it as the devil, if you keep rebuking it that, God, you're wrong, you don't know me well enough, you're going to be in trouble. So Jesus speaks the word to all the disciples. He even applies scriptures to the situation, and they reject it. Now, Peter's statement, 
Here's one way you can tell flesh from spirit. Flesh compares and tears down. That's flesh. Flesh compares and tears down. What's Peter do? Even if all the rest of them deny you. Not me. This is what flesh does. Flesh says, well, my faith is stronger than their faith. Well, my word knowledge is better than their word knowledge. Well, my walk is better than their walk. We compare. Flesh compares and tears down. When you look at another believer and you start tearing down things that they're doing because you don't understand what it is they're doing and you just start messing with what they're doing, well, you shouldn't be doing that. Why are you doing that? How come you're tearing them down? That's flesh. That's not spirit. You're not helping them. Flesh compares and tears down. Spirit warns and uplifts. You want to know which one you're moving by? That's a real easy way to tell right there because most things that we say are either in the comparison or tear down area or they're in the warning and uplifting. You may see somebody moving off in an area and you may give a warning or you may say, well, they're not going to receive that warning. I'll just uplift them. I'll just lift them up, speak to some things here. It's going to be in one of those areas. Try and stay over in the spirit area. It's going to help you as well as it's going to help them. But you can't make successful faith declarations against the Spirit's leading without making changes that are necessary to accomplish it. If the Spirit of God is telling you, you keep going this direction, this is what's going to happen, your faith statement, your faith declaration will not deter you. I'll give you an example of this in Scripture. Just understand, anything that you're going to receive, make sure you see it in Scripture. If you don't see it in Scripture, you probably are not understanding it right. How many times did God send prophets to Israel stop the idolatry? Stop disobeying my commands. Listen to... He sends prophets. He speaks these things to them. And they do what? They reject it. They make declarations. No, our enemies will not win out over us. Uh, not unless you make that change. You got to make that change. The prophets would come and they say, Yeah, this army is going to defeat you unless you repent. No, no, no. We are the children of God. They will not defeat us. And they did. This is, this is the example. You can make a faith declaration, faith declaration, but in your spirit it may come up, Hold on. Change this. Alter this. Fix this. You cannot make a faith declaration against what the Spirit of God tells you. You've got to listen to it. And make the adjustments. So, they didn't do that. Now, at this point, their joy level may have been disrupted, but they probably don't notice a change. Maybe disrupted a little bit. What do you mean we're going to deny you? <laughs> uh, but they probably don't notice much of a change on the inside. Because right now, they're still very flesh-oriented. They're doing the comparisons. They're not uh, making the adjustments. Verse 36, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Now who did he take with him? Peter, James, and John. Who did he have the specific word for about denying him three times? Peter. But he still took him along. I don't know, if I got a word about somebody in my group who's going to deny me three times before the day's over, um, I was going to have you in my close group, but see ya. 
<laughs> Matthew, come on. Let's bring you on in here. I think we need an upgrade from Peter. But he didn't. He brings Peter still along with him. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Said to who? Who did he find sleeping? Let's read it again. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Man, Lord, why are you picking on me? He's been the vocal one. What? Could you not watch me one hour? Or watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He doesn't want them to watch and pray to help him. He wants them to watch and pray to help themselves. If you'll do this, you won't enter into temptation. He just spoke to him about what the temptation was, right? To deny Jesus. Again, a second time he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it. Your will be done. And he came and found them sleeping again, or asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Well, they keep falling asleep instead of praying. They, he said to them that just the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. A willing spirit without a strong body to carry it out will yield disappointing results. I don't care how willing your spirit is to do the things that God has called you to do, to do what God has shown you to do. If your body can't carry it out, it ain't going to happen. I don't care how willing you are to lose 15 pounds and to eat nothing but vegetation for the next two weeks. I don't care how willing you are. If your body can't carry it out, it ain't going to happen. You have got to get your body in line with what you will to do. Just because you want to do it, just because you know God wants you to do it, just because you're willing to do what God wants you to do does not mean that you will carry it out. You have to have your body in shape to do it. You have to have your flesh under control so that your flesh doesn't get in the way. The Spirit was willing. They were willing to go into prayer with Jesus, but their body wasn't able to, to do it. What's that phrase they use in some, some movies? You know, don't let your mouth write checks. Your body can't. can't that's it. Body can't cash it. <laughs> oh, man. I like the way the Bible puts it. One of the few times I quote King Ahab. Don't let him who puts on his armor boast like him who takes it off. I love that quote. <laughs> that is a good quote. I told you I used to quote that to Lamar all the time we were playing hockey. <laughs> yeah, lots of fun. Lots of fun with that. 47. 
And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude, with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now his betrayer had given them a sign, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. Immediately went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. You all know who that was? That was Peter. But Jesus said to him, Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father and he will provide me with more than twelve legions of angels? How then could the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? In that hour, Jesus said to the multitudes, Have you come out as against the robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you, teaching in the temple, and you did not seize me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled, then all the disciples forsook him and fled. You've got a mob coming up with swords, clubs, spears, all sorts of uh, armament. A large mob coming up to get Jesus. Peter, who we all pick on because he denied Jesus three times, pulls out one sword and stands to fight for his master. Is he putting his life on the line? Does he know he's putting his life on the line? Is he willing to put his life on the line? He is. Isn't it amazing? At this moment, he is ready to die for his, for his master. But in a few minutes, he will not be. How do you go from being in a place where you are willing to die with Jesus and a few minutes later run off? How do you get there? See, this is what happens with a lot of Christians. We're in the battle. I make fake declarations in the battle. I think I'm ready for this battle. The enemy comes out. I draw the sword. I swing. I don't hit exactly what I want to hit, but I'm swinging. And Jesus says, that's not how we're fighting this battle. Put it away. If I wanted to fight it that way, I've got much better people than you. They can come on down. They can help me out. Put it away. See, up till now, Peter is of the thought that Jesus is Messiah and Jesus is King. He believes that we're on the winning side. And when the soldiers come, that he will take the throne and Rome will be dethroned. When Jesus was talking about dying, that's why they rejected it. No, 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 no. You're not going to die. You're the king. We know what the word says about Messiah. He's coming. He's going to be victorious. You're going to win. That's still his mentality right now. He is prepared for that kind of battle. And when Jesus says, put it away, and he goes with them, this is not how we see this working out. And they're confused. And their joy is gone. It's not being replenished. And their strength is gone. Ethel commented about that quote in the, in the bulletin. I, co- I copied that word for word down from uh, uh, Brother Jerry. I was uh, thinking on this last night. And I thought, uh, as we're getting into this, I know somebody wrote, uh, did a sermon on joy. That the devil can't steal your joy. 
Can't take your goods. Yep. I, I know, I know, I heard, and so I, I, I couldn't remember who it was who did it, and so I did a quick look up here this morning, and uh, found it, listened to the whole thing uh, while I was getting other things ready, and said, yeah, that's a, he, he actually just retaught that recently, last year he just retaught it, he said he hadn't retaught it in a while, so he retaught it. You, if you listen to the video teaching that comes up tomorrow, you will uh, rehear his story on the, on the stroke, but there's a lot of other things in there that you'll, that you'll get, that you'll like. This is one of the those quotes in there. So if you're going on through, you don't, I didn't want you to have to write it down. So I wrote it down for you so that it would be there because I thought it was really, really good that uh, this is all kind of tied together. You need that joy. If that joy doesn't come in, you don't have the spiritual strength that you need to fight. And here he had that, that joy, but it ran out. He's ready to fight. He's ready to go down. But all of a sudden, he's not. And he runs. And it's not like it just went away for a little while. It stayed away. But Judas arrives with the soldiers, verse 57. Those who had laid hold of Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's court. And he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. See, I'm still drawn, I'm still drawn to this. I, I want to see where this is going. It's not going where I thought it would be. And I don't know how close I want to get to the association of this. So I'm just going to follow at a distance. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But the last two false witnesses came forward and they said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and build it in three days. The high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to them, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, Hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look, now you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? They answered and said, He is deserving of death. And they spat in his face and beat him and struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? Verse 69, we get back to Peter. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and the servant girl came to him, saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. So one person brought the accusation. He made sure everyone there heard him say, I do not know what you are saying. When he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And so he went out and wept bitterly. Three times he was given an opportunity to stand with the master. Three times he denied it. Three times he said. Final time, he made sure that his speech didn't sound like one who would follow Christ. And so he cussed and he swore. Put on the, the appearance. No, nope, I don't. He, I don't know. He didn't know me. All these people are recognizing him because Peter was with Jesus for all these years. They saw him, but he's going to deny it. 
fellows behind. He doesn't want to get too close to be associated when people accuse him of being associated. He denies it. But he is close enough that he can hear a lot of what's going on. If I spent time with this, I could show you they're not all the way inside because the uh, high priest and so forth thought they would be unclean if they got all the way inside the praetorium. So they stayed outside in the courtyard area. They stayed inside the house area. They didn't go inside where the official stuff was going on because that would cause them to be unclean for the feast. Murdering somebody, that didn't cause them to be unclean for the feast, but this would. Creating false accusations against people, that didn't cause a problem. Not in their minds. But Peter is close enough to hear the false accusations. What happens to you when someone that you know that you have had close association with, we'll just say for this amount of time, three and a half years, you have heard all the words that he said. You've heard everything that he's done. And now people are saying things that he said that he knows he didn't say. They're saying he did things that you know he didn't do. What's that do to you on the inside? This is someone you care about. This is someone you love. What do you want to do? Don't you want to rise up and defend them? Doesn't it just get your blood boiling? Look what they're doing to this man. It's my friend. He sat there in the courtyard and went through this torture. And then when someone came to him and said, you're one of that, no, no, I'm not. What conflict is going on inside of Peter? Now, what would have happened if he was prepared better? If he had heard and understood the words that Jesus spoke, this whole thing wouldn't have come as a surprise. If he knew the purpose that Jesus had, this wouldn't have made him lose his joy. Now, I don't think he would have found a whole lot of joy in it, but he wouldn't have lost his joy. His eyes would have been set on what is coming in three days instead of just what he sees now. And see, that's what God's kind of joy will do. You are able to look ahead to what's coming and to receive the joy for what's ahead regardless of what's going on now. This is where Peter was not. He was in a flesh joy that was looking like spiritual joy. But he couldn't look ahead. He couldn't hear. If he would have heard what Jesus said, if he would have known what Jesus said, if he just understood the words, I will rise again. And when I do, meet me in Galilee. I'm going to go on ahead of you there. You meet me in Galilee. So in those three days, they would have just, they would have been making plans to go to the tomb. They would have been making plans to go to Galilee. They weren't making plans to go to the Galilee because those words didn't set down on the inside. If they would have understood what Jesus had said and what Jesus had spoke to them for the purpose of them understanding, when they saw all this, they would have been sad that he had to go through this and their friend was going through it, but their eyes would have been focused on three days ahead. He said he would rise in three days. I'm not going to be sad. I'm glad that he is willing to go through this for me. I see what is being brought about because of this. But they couldn't do it. See, this is where the joy is. It's in the purpose that God has for Jesus. Jesus, when he was in the garden, he renewed himself on what? The purpose that he was here. His spirit could see that. And so because of the purpose, because of the end result of why he was here, he was able to endure the cross, the word tells us. 
It wasn't a joyful event. But he endured it because of the joy of what would come after. That's a lot of times what we had to look at. We had to look at what is the joy ahead. And then it can help us to get on through. I don't have to be happy about what's going on. Situations have drained our joy because of our dependence on flesh instead of spirit. Now look at Luke 22, verse 54. Having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house, but Peter followed at a distance. Now, when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard, sat down together, Peter sat among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with him. But he denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You also are of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. So now we get the extra little detail that not only did he hear the rooster crow, not only did he deny him three times, but at that moment, Jesus turned and looked at him. Oh, what would that do to you? In that one instance, when, they're look, when Jesus is looking at him, and he's thinking, but I told him I would never do this. He's looking at me now. I'd love to see what those eyes were like. I'm sure they weren't condemning eyes. I'm sure they weren't eyes that put him down and made him feel embarrassed for what he had done. I'm sure there are eyes that had all the love of a Savior. But now Jesus is in going through all this and one of his closest friends has just denied him for the third time. He has no one. He's in this by himself. But he endured it because of the joy that was to come. That's where the strength was. Peter went off. I'm sure if you're Peter... Your joy level has got to be pretty low right now. You've got to feel like a failure. And John, we've got a little bit more detail. Verse 15. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Guess who that was? That was John. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. And the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now, look at this little change right here. You are not also? What does she mean? She knows John. John knows her. She knows John's a disciple. She looks at Peter and says, aren't you a disciple also? And he said, I am not. Now this adds a little bit more dimension. Because if you just look at the other passages, you think Peter is in this all by himself. And only he knows that he's denying Jesus until at the end Jesus turns and looks at him. But now you find out that the reason he's in where he's at is because of John. And the girl who lets him in 
turns to Peter and says, in the presence of John, aren't you one of his disciples too? And in the presence of John, he says, I am not. Peter denied Jesus as his Lord to himself. He denied it in the presence of Jesus when Jesus turned and looked at him. And he denied it in what is probably a close friend, but certainly a rival of the twelve disciples. How many times are John and Peter rivaling for things? Peter always wants to be better. John wants to be better. And Peter has a great opportunity here. What's going through with, with John? John doesn't write much about this. What is John doing? John might be looking. Yo! What are you doing? Now remember, John's the one who shows up at the cross. He apparently is not too... Uh, he denies him at first, but he comes back. And he shows up at the cross. And Jesus puts the care of his mom into his hands. Now the servants and officers who had made a fire of coal stood there, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. First, jump down to verse 25. Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself, therefore they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, the relative of him whose ear Peter cut off. Huh. You're the guy who cut off my, uh, <laughs> my relative's ear. Did I not see you in the garden? So he was in the garden. He saw Peter cut off the ear of someone who's in his family. I usually take notice of that. Peter then denied it again. And immediately a rooster, rooster crowed. So we get a little more detail as we, as we go through here. Now John was with him all this time. Now, Judas, Judas doesn't see the results that he desired. He wanted to see something. The, the reference is there if you want to go up there and, and get it. But Judas didn't see the result. Whatever results he was, there's, there's speculation that he's trying to jumpstart the, the king part of Messiah and push Jesus into a place there. Uh, there's other folks, folks that think he lost faith because of the money situation, whatever it was, and whatever he was expecting, it didn't happen the way that he thought. And he had remorse for turning Jesus over in this way. So he goes back to the high priest and he says, here's the money. I don't want this. We don't care. Do whatever you want with the money. And so he leaves it there, throws it there, whatever. And he goes out and he hangs himself. See, he was without joy. Peter is without joy. But Judas doesn't get himself built back up again. There's many people that have ended their life because they're without joy. Their eyes cannot see anything out there for which they can get joy. And they've ended their life. Peter is hanging on right now probably by a thread. He's probably feeling like I have failed the disciples. John's going to tell everybody I denied him. Jesus, I have failed him. I failed myself. But there's hope for Peter. 
In uh, Mark chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus sent word to his disciples, but go tell his disciples and, and Peter <laughs> that he is going before you in the Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. He already said that to him. He already told him, meet me in Galilee. That's where you need to go. But go tell his disciples and Peter. Make sure Peter knows he's still one of the disciples. He's probably discounted himself. He's probably seen himself as not one of the disciples. You're not going to be able to go tell Judas. Judas is dead. There's no question, well, should we include Judas in that? Nope, Judas is dead. We don't have to include him. He's gone. The disciples, they lost their joy in the crisis. They had multiple different flesh reactions, but they had no faith ones. We need to see some faith ones. John may have had a few faith ones. He was at least there at the cross, but he's still not believing in the words that Jesus has said. Now, Paul and Silas, we looked at them last week, they didn't lose their joy in the crisis, and they had faith reactions instead of flesh ones. They're in there in the midst of the, the uh, prison, singing, praising God, praying. The earthquake happens. They don't feel any need to get up and run out. Stay right there. Everybody else is staying right there. How'd they do it? Well, they wrote this in your outline to make sure that you, you had the details of this. The enemy knows if he can get you off purpose, he can get you off joy and lead you into a flesh response. He knows this. If he can get you off purpose, he can get you off joy, spiritual kind of joy, and lead you into a flesh response. There are examples for this in Scripture. Let's go back to the beginning again. So much goes back to the beginning. Adam and Eve. Their purpose was, you remember what their purpose was told? To tend and keep the garden. Actually, the, the wording there has a tendency to, to say guard it. But they became distracted by becoming something that they thought they weren't. And the day that you eat of it, God knows that you will become as gods, knowing both good and evil. They became distracted from their purpose to pursue something that they thought they weren't. And they lost their joy. They lost their strength. They lost their ability to fight. The devil knows if he can get you off purpose or get you off joy. Get you off joy, he gets you off your strength. David, his purpose was to be king and to defend the nation against enemies. But one spring, he was not fulfilling his purpose. He stayed home. Other people were out there fulfilling his purpose and he became distracted by Bathsheba. He lost his joy. Not only did he become distracted and fail in that area, then he tried to get the husband killed. Tried to get the husband involved actually first in the whole thing. He wouldn't cooperate, so he had him killed. He went from one thing to another until finally he repented and got back. But he lost his joy. Jeroboam, purpose that God gave him was to lead the country in following after God and His Word. He'll do this. I will make you an enduring house. That was the purpose that he was given in the calling. But he was distracted by preserving 
his throne. If I don't act this way, Israel will leave me, kill my house. He became distracted. This is what the enemy wants to try and do. He knows your joy is your strength. He knows flesh joy won't cut it. It has to be spiritual joy. And he knows spiritual joy comes from your purpose in God being fulfilled and you pursuing it. So he tries to throw distractions up to get you to pursue this, to get you to go after this, to get you to get mad at this happening, to get you to be jealous that this isn't going on in your life, to get you to covet someone else's ministry or someone else's life or someone else what they have. He wants you distracted. He does not care what the distraction is just so it distracts you from your purpose. He tries this with Jesus to distract him from his purpose and Jesus will have none of it. And he goes and spends time in the garden to renew himself on the purpose. Because if he stays on that purpose, he will have the strength to overcome and to do it. Because that's where the strength comes from. It comes from the joy. The enemy was able to steal their joy and their strength by distracting them from their purpose Jesus called them to. Now look at what Jesus called them to. When he came up to Peter, when he came up to John, when he came up to James, when he came up to Andrew, do you remember what he said to them? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's what he said. That's what their purpose was. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. What is their purpose? Now, if you, if, you, if you think on this too much, you can come out here with the purpose is to be fishers of men. But the purpose is follow me. As you accomplish that purpose, I will make you fishers of men. But the purpose is follow me. Two words. Two. Wouldn't you like to have a purpose in your life that's two words long? Just two words. That's it. For the longest time, Keith Moore, he, he shared this with us. His purpose was help Brother Hagin. That was his purpose. What does that mean? Well, I guess it means whatever he needs, we help him with it. <laughs> That's all. That was his purpose. And he followed that purpose for how, 20 some years? And Brother Hagin uh, passed on. I remember the he was, uh, Keith was sharing this one time after he had left Ramah and he had gone off and, and, and done some things. Uh, Brother Hagin was still around and was still uh, traveling and doing some things. And the Lord hit him. He says, uh, I never released you from that purpose. No, I guess you didn't. What should I do? So he calls up Brother Hagin and says, hey, do you need any help? Sure. <laughs> so at their own expense, they flew themselves down to where the meeting was just to help. And did that until... Uh, until he died. Because that was the purpose. See, purpose from God doesn't have to be real long. It doesn't have to be real wordy. Brother Hagin's purpose was, I mean, remember that? Teach my people faith. That's pretty, pretty straightforward purpose. God doesn't need a whole lot of words. He may not give you a whole lot of words, but he's going to give you something. And you, and you do that purpose until he moves you on to something else. Until he releases you from that purpose. And this is the one you're supposed to pursue now.
Their purpose was? Follow me. So what did the enemy come and do? He distracted them from their purpose and they ran. They fled. Up until that day, they were perfectly fine with being in the courtyards with Jesus, with being in the meetings with Jesus, with walking the streets with Jesus, walking between the cities with Jesus, fishing with Jesus, camping with Jesus. Whatever it was, they were there. But now all of a sudden, they were not following him. Got them distracted from the purpose. They lost their joy. And they gave in to temptation. I mean, they weren't perfect up until then, but they weren't this bad. They weren't running. Well, I gave you some things here to help you with this. Things that will steal your joy. I'm just looking at things from this story. You may be able to come up with some other, other things that can come up in life that would cause this to, to happen. But things that will steal your joy. Now there's a reason for why you want to do this. Say that Max has a particular video game that he likes. And say that we were in the old days when you actually had to have the video game to play it. Do you, do you, you know those days? Yeah, yeah we, had, we had discs. We had keys. You had to have a key to unlock the game. And if you didn't have the key, you couldn't unlock the game, you couldn't play it. You had these little, little uh, keys, little things that they would do that, that now you just have passwords and all you got to do is log in. You can log on anywhere and you can play. But it used to be that you actually had the physical game in your hand. What would happen if somebody took that game from you? Your favorite game. Is that? You couldn't play the... Yeah. We, we, we would lose the ability to use the thing if someone then steals it. Someone would, if, if someone were to steal your car, you would lose the ability to use it. If somebody got in and stole your money, you would lose the ability to use it. You would still consider it yours. That car may have been stolen from you, but how many have just said, well, it was a nice car while I had it? If you're in church, maybe one visiting another church on vacation somewhere and you went to a church and you had your Bible, your favorite Bible, and somehow that Bible got misplaced. You left it behind. Somebody picked it up. And whatever it was, you became separated from your favorite Bible. How many of you are saying, well, it was a nice Bible while I had it. I enjoyed that Bible. I'll just go get a new one. No, it's my Bible. You got your notes in it. You're used to the feel of that, of that Bible. You want that Bible back. If you see that Bible in the hands of someone walking out of the church, how many of you going up to that person and saying, I hope you are blessed with this new Bible that you have? No, you're going up to them and saying what? That's my Bible. <laughs> Has my name in it. You can even begin to describe things that are in the Bible to prove that it's yours. If the devil can steal your joy, steal your joy. 
but you just lost the use of it. You've got to get it back. You've got to have that joy back in your life. So I gave you some things here. You can, I gave you some blanks, area that you, you can write down what you want. But here's the first way. Trying to follow Jesus with your flesh still in charge. If you try to follow Jesus with your flesh still in charge, you will lose your joy. Your joy can be stolen. The disciples are trying to follow Jesus, but their flesh is still in charge. He showed that to them in the garden. Your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. Your flesh is still ruling here. You've got to get to the place where your flesh doesn't rule you. You've got to get to the place. We'll put this in practical areas for you. You've got to get to the place where pizza doesn't rule you. <laughs> Pasta doesn't rule you. Tacos do not rule you. That if you have made a determination that I shall eat thus and so, that you will eat thus and so no matter how much those tacos smell. How many people like tacos? Oh man, I love tacos. I love tacos. I remember one time we took uh, some people, we were guest speakers we had here, and we took them out to this one of these Mexican restaurants that I like, and for whatever reason they had... Um, my wife might remember. Was it a foot-long taco? Yeah. Yeah. It's a foot-long taco. It was wider than most tacos. It's like a hoagie. Mm-hmm. And um, they had it on the menu. And I ordered it. And they were telling, they were warning me ahead of time, uh, most people can't finish it. I said, I'm not most people. <laughs> and I am not most people when it comes to that. And I finished that sucker off and I was ready for dessert. <laughs> and I had my Mexican fried ice cream. I love Mexican fried ice cream. One of my favorites. Uh, but if you are trying to resist something, most of the time we want to resist something. How many of y'all know your, your smeller likes it? Oh, steak. Your smeller likes it. I, we don't have to, green tomato pie, I don't have to resist that. <laughs> Do not have to resist that at all. I, my mom tells me the story is my aunt used to make one of those things, green tomato pie. I don't know why anybody ever thought of making a green tomato pie. It would not even cross my mind. But apparently some people have. Have you ever had green tomato pie? Not a, nobody's even had it? Wow. Yeah, I have I, not had it. I just know it exists. <laughs> I, they used to tell me the story all the time that uh, you know, my dad had a, he had a way of uh, if you have something on the plate, you don't like it, get it out of the way. And so he'd scarf it down. He just scarfed it right down. And so um, she put this green tomato pie in front of him, scarfed it down, got rid of it, out of the way. Now there it is. Oh, you like that? Let me get you another piece. <laughs> now you would think that we would learn from stories like this. But I didn't. I was over at my, my wife's house when we were dating. And her father made this anchovy pasta meal and put it on my plate. I'm trying to be polite. You know, we're still just getting to know each other. And so I ate the anchovy pasta. I don't like anchovies. We used to do things with anchovies in the pizza restaurant to get each other. 
Oh, we did all sorts of stuff with anchovies. If I put an anchovy on a guy's shoulder, just rested it right there while he's working. He didn't know it was there. <laughs> After a while, you, he get to notice it, and now it's in his shirt. You know, it's oh yeah, we we had we had fun with anchovies. But anyway, I, I ate it up real fast, and so now they're ready to give me more. <laughs> I think I was able to talk them out of it. I, I think if I remember right, I was able to talk them out of giving me any more. But <laughs> you would think we would learn from stories like that. You don't have to resist what you don't like. You have to resist what you do like, what has a, a draw into you. And the enemy knows what you like. And he's going to try and throw some things out that will distract you. Try and pull you in. He wants to get your flesh in charge. He wants to wake your flesh up. There are opportunities that you have to wake your flesh up. And when it is, ah, there's that flesh. Come on, you got you and me, we're going at it. And you beat that, you beat that flesh. The, uh, my, my granddaughter, she has the, the little, well, I can't say the littlest one anymore. She's not the littlest one. She's still a peanut, though. That little Lumi, she is a peanut. Toss her around all over the, the place, that little, little, and she loves it, too. She, if I throw her around, flip her in the air, have her land, she's just giggling and laughing more. She, she wears, she's like her older sister. She wears out my arms and all the tossing and throwing and everything else. Chenzo, he was easy. Three times, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> He's over. But, but Lumi and, and Lissy, oh boy, they just toss them. Just, no fear. But she likes this movie. And in this, um, in this, in this movie, they have uh, uh, two, two little boys that are playing together. And the, the one little boy's kind of on his own. And the other one has a family. But the one who's on his own, he has a name for that voice on the inside of you that tells you, don't do something. Everybody know that voice that's on the inside? He said, don't do that. Don't do that. You're going to get hurt. Don't do that. And so he named that little voice Bruno. And so he said, just say no to Bruno. So he would, that's what he would teach him to do. And so um, every time that voice would come up, don't go down the hill on the scooter. No, that's just Bruno talking. Tell Bruno to shut up. Say no to Bruno. Don't listen to him. So you get that voice that comes up on the inside of you. That voice, if it's the Holy Spirit, is telling you, this is the way you ought to go. Don't say no to that. But you're going to have that voice of your flesh that comes up and tries to tell you things that are not so. Tries to put fear in you. You cannot follow Jesus with your flesh still in charge. You've got to build up your spirit, man, and get that going. Here's the second one. Caring about what the world thinks or values. You'll see this in the courtyard. Peter was caring about what the people around the courtyard thought about him. He cared about their values. You cannot care about what the world thinks or what the world values. You've got to let your spirit come up and be, be that way. Let your spirit be the one. What does your spirit say? What's coming up on the inside of you? Abortion is becoming a, a big thing. For me, it's not an issue. I, I know what God's view is of babies. I know it. I know his view as a father. I, I know what he thinks about sending life into this world. I know people want to kind of complicate it and make all kinds of other things about it, but I know what my, God, my father says about life coming in this world. And that baby coming in, that is a life that God gave 
So I don't have to debate. I don't care what the world says about it. I don't care what the world says is popular. I know what my God has said. I don't have to wonder about what happens when two men get, want to get married. I don't have to wonder. It grosses me out, for one. It just... <laughs> uh, I like men. I like to go out there and play football with them and to bang them around and to hurt them. <laughs> but, but that's it. I, I don't get all that other stuff that, uh, that these guys want to try and, and do. Why in the world they would be drawn into that? It's just it's not natural. That's not God. God didn't say marriage can be between a man and a man or a woman and a woman. God said man and a woman. That's what God said. I have his opinion. If you don't like his opinion, I don't care. I have his opinion on it. And I will stay with that no matter how many churches or how many pastors or how many uh, religious organizations change their mind on it and try and go a different direction. Or how much they try and put pressure on you that you will comply and go along this way. Don't be caring about what the world thinks or values. If you do that, your flesh is in charge. If you do that, your joy will be a natural joy. It will not be a supernatural joy. It will not carry you through. Having a reborn spirit in a body still run by the flesh, that will cause you conflict, not joy. When you have a reborn spirit in the body still run by the flesh, you may remember this story, it is just like putting new wine into old wine skins. That's what it's like. You cannot do it. You've got to get new wine into new wine skins. You've got to get that flesh out of being in control. Your spirit needs to run things. So having a reborn spirit in a body still run by the flesh. Here's another one. Losing a battle with your flesh after you were warned. If God gave you a spiritual warning and you ignored the warning and then lost the, the battle, your joy, you're going to lose some joy. Because your joy is not tied into the spirit anymore. You tied it into the natural. If God is telling you, hey, this is what's coming. Don't sit there and say, I, I rebuke that. You cannot do that. If God is telling you, know the voice of the spirit, know the voice of your, of your flesh. When your spirit comes up on the inside of you and says, this is coming, then you need to prepare. You need to get yourself ready. This is coming. You lose that battle, you're going to have a, you're going to have a tough time because your joy got switched over to natural joy and you still think it's spiritual. Feeling like you have to keep up with those around you in an attempt to try in your flesh. This is what they were doing when they're all together. We're not going to deny you. Uh-uh. Now we're trying to keep up. We're not listening to the thing, things that are going on. Sometimes our desire to appear more spiritual, our desire to, to look to other people like we are spiritual, causes us to take some of the warnings that God has given us and not hear them. We've got to make sure that we don't do that. Here's the last one that I wrote down from this story. Outbursts of flesh in daily or spiritual trials. Peter, when he was cursing to prove that he was not one of Jesus' disciples. Outbursts of flesh in daily or spiritual trials. How many times has things happened in the natural and your mouth sounds like a sinner? Your actions look like a sinner. 
You throw things, beat things, speak to things, yell at things, curse things. That flesh is still, it's rising up. No, you got to be able to, to take, take control over that. If you're spiritually in charge, those things aren't going to come out. It's because your flesh is still in charge. And you tame it. You know, you've got a nice flesh, nice flesh, you know. It's, you've tamed it a little bit, and it's generally pretty responsible, but not always. I may have told you about this story, but sometimes I'm, I'm around in this, uh, this spot in the, in the park, and I'm running around this little half-mile uh, course in the park just to uh, I try and do some intervals or some, you know, some kind of testing, things like that. This guy has two dogs. I like dogs, but I'm not real fond on most dog owners. And he's got these two dogs. They're a good-sized dog, and they're kind of mean. And he brings them out to the park, and he's walking along, two dogs. One's going this way, one's going this way. And I come on by, and, I mean, he's holding them back. I can even see him getting ready for me. He's coming. He's got them all wrapped up. He's holding them back, and and they're... I was running by this week at one, one time, and there's this, uh, there's this other man. I was passing him at the time. He was all the way on this side. I was passing him over here. The dogs were over here on, on this side. So um, I passed him on the side. I was between him and the dogs. And I was passing him. And then the dogs started doing that. Rah, 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 rah. And I, I could see he's, he's just going like that. I don't know what he thought that was going to do, but he was all like this. <laughs> Moving on over with his shoulder. And just kind of looking over and trying to see where the dogs were, but he, he, he just, it was such an odd angle. I think, what in the world is that going to do for you? He was obviously very much afraid of these dogs, and uh, I, I don't get afraid of them. I just get mad. I'm thinking, I'm going to grab me a stick, <laughs> and them dogs want to come over here. They're going to get a face full of this stick. Come on, dogs. <laughs> but, you know, they, they just don't train. They don't, they're not training their dogs. They, you shouldn't have them out in a public place if this is all you can do. But a couple of times I've run by some dog owners. They're not even on a leash. I don't care if your dog's on a leash or not. I care whether your dog's under control or And the dog sat there while I ran on by. I made a comment to the man. That is a well-trained dog. But I appreciate that. I know how much work that probably took to, to do that. I appreciate that. That, uh, that nature in that dog is under the control of that master. He may still have that nature. Well, we've got this thing completely under control. That's what you've got to do with your flesh. But see, a lot of people, they keep feeding their flesh. And as long as you keep going into spiritual battles and try and, uh, and do it with natural joy, you will feed your flesh, and your flesh will get bigger. can't do it. You've got to tap into that spiritual joy. Now, make sure that you are not one of those people who is a joy stealer. Yeah, Christians can be joy stealers too. They steal other people's joys, the joy that it's in them. Because they're always cutting them up, criticizing them, embarrassing them. What do you think this girl's purpose here is in calling out Peter? What's the purpose? You were one of them. Are we seeking truth? I'm trying to embarrass you. I'm trying to get you connected with someone that you don't want to be connected to. I'm trying to embarrass you. Sometimes Christians, we just call out things on other Christians trying to embarrass them. Well, I thought you were spiritual. <laughs> I thought you were above doing stuff like that. Kind of like, 
I am, but I guess you haven't gotten to that place just, just yet. <laughs> no, we, you know, that spirit lifts up. Spirit warns and uplifts. Flesh is looking to do those things. Flesh condemns. Flesh is looking to embarrass. Flesh is not looking to help you. Evaluate some of the words that you speak to the people in your family, people and friends, people at work. Evaluate some of those words. Are your words going to have the intention of helping them? Of strengthening them? Of making them better? Are they words that are going to hurt them? Because if they are words that are going to hurt them, you are a joy stealer. Don't wonder why joy is not flourishing for you. God does not give spiritual gifts to people who try and steal them. Joy is a gift of the Spirit that you can have freely if you pursue it that way. Now, Jesus is in the same exact situation that the disciples are in, but his is much more intense. But he's renewed on himself on the purpose. Now, let's take a look at another one. Moses, when he faced discouragement, And the loss of joy, when he first went before Pharaoh and presented him with the plague, presented him with the the, uh, snakes and the uh, leper's hand, and Pharaoh gets mad, and he says, that's it, we're going to make them make bricks without straw. And everybody got mad, everybody got mad at Moses. And then Moses got mad with God. He was discouraged. What did God do? Remember the story? God renewed him on the purpose. Moses looked. I told you, it's going to take 10 plagues. But on the 10th plague, he's going to drive you out. I didn't say what happened on the first plague. I said what happened on the 10th plague. You've got nine more still to go. 10 plagues, and Pharaoh will drive you out of this land. They will pay you to leave. But I didn't say it was going to happen now. Moses got renewed on the purpose, and he never had to get renewed on that purpose again. But he was discouraged. Why? Because somehow he got off of the words that Jesus spoke to him. Just like the disciples got off the words that Jesus spoke to him. First off, follow me. That's your purpose. Secondly, he told them, I'm going to be turned over. I'm going to be delivered. They're going to torture me. They're going to kill me. They're going to bury me. But on the third day, I will rise. He told him. God has spoken words to you that will supply your joy. In the midst of any trial and temptation that you have, your joy will be supplied. What comes as a result of joy? Strength. I love that list that uh, Jerry, Jerry made up. It was a phenomenal list. So you got it there in your bulletin. Cut it out. Keep it around. Make sure that you see it. This is where your strength is coming from. If your joy gets cut off, your strength will too. And you won't be able to hold up. But if you keep that joy going, you can keep going. Even though the situation you're in is not producing any joy at all. What Jesus was in that was not producing any joy for him. What he did was he looked ahead to three days. And that's what brought him through. Many times we're living in this world and we're seeing all the evil that is going on. We don't like the evil that's going on. 
We don't like the things that are happening. We don't like the shootings. I don't like the shootings that are going on the streets, in the stores, in the schools. But I'm not letting heathens tell me how to, how to respond to that. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to bite into their thing where everybody's got to turn in their guns. There was a, uh, I'll try and put it up on Facebook for you, but I heard a guy, he's a comic, but he did this very serious part on it, and he went through history and told all the times in history that governments collected weapons. And it wasn't just Germany. It was Russia. It was China. It was Cuba. I'm trying to think of some of the other ones. that uh, there's, there's, There was about 12, I think, that he rattled off in history. And every single time they did it, within a year or two, people died. I think the number in Germany is 13 million who died. Because the guns were collected, there was no defense, 13 million in Germany. 6 million Jews, 13 million total. It wasn't just Jews that were killed. In Russia, the number is much higher. Sometimes we forget that because our focus so much is on the horrors of what happened in Germany. But under Lenin and Stalin, the numbers are much higher. China, the numbers are staggering. How many people they killed once they disarmed the people. It is amazing. Do not let the world tell you how you want to respond. We do not need guns taken away. What we need is God inside of the people. That's what we need. There's another place that I heard. This was a senator on the hill. And, I, and he read off good guys with guns. Anybody hear that? Mm -hmm. Read off good guys with guns. And how many people, good guys with guns, stop people from dying? But see, they don't talk about those. They put all the emphasis on the ones that were able to rattle off 13, 19, 20 people killed. I don't like them. I don't like it one bit. But I'll tell you what, if there was a good guy with a gun in that place, that wouldn't have happened. We like good guys with guns. I like policemen on the, sh on the street. I like them with guns. I don't care what color their skin is. I don't care what their religion is. I want to make sure that there's good guys. There's bad guys out there with guns too. Bad policemen with guns. I understand that. But that doesn't mean that I don't want the good ones having it. Don't let the world tell you how you respond. Listen to your spirit. What's your spirit telling you? Make sure that you get to yourself to a place that the spirit of God doesn't tell you something like he told Peter, James, John, Matthew, Mark, all these guys. Make sure... When the Spirit of God tells you that you hear it. Because those words are what you're going to keep coming back to. Those words point to something. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Here's what you do now. Here's what the joy is in the future. Do this. Keep your eye on this. The people in the world, they don't want to tell you that if, if schools would lock their doors, less people, with bad guys with guns, would get inside. I heard the, the part of the story that the guy in Texas was actually outside in the parking lot shooting and still the doors propped open. How does that happen? I don't, I don't have the answers for that. I don't know. I just There's a lot more ways that you can go. God has ways for you to solve 
the problems that you face that are trying to steal your joy. He has ways to solve them, but you've got to listen to your spirit. When that spirit comes in, he's going to tell you something to do now, and he's going to give you something to look at in the future. Because what you're looking at in the future is where you're getting your strength from. That's where the joy is. Jesus had the joy of what would happen after the cross. That's what carried him through. Paul had the joy of what was going to happen when his race was over. And so he endured his race because of what he would have when the race was over. What has God been telling you about what's in your future? Keep your eyes on that. Get your joy from that. And take his orders, whatever it might be, follow me. Whatever it might be. You can do it. You can accomplish whatever he has told you to do because he is giving you the strength to do it. There is something in there to look forward to. We all have heaven to look forward to, don't we? We're all looking forward to it forward to heaven. We all believe that there's a mansion waiting for me because Jesus said, I go to repair a place for you. Keith Green was doing a song and in the intro of the, the song he, he brought out, he says, well, if, if God created the earth in this amount of time and he's been working on heaven all this other time, <laughs> how much better is heaven going to be? And he uh, used that as a, as a thing to hold on to. How, how good is heaven? Put it to you this way. God knows you better than anyone and he has prepared a house for you. He knows what you like. You've been, have you ever been in a house and you say, I don't like this house. Do not like, who would want to buy this house? And then somebody else walks in on the house. Oh, oh, I love this house. Love this house. See, he knows what you want. And he has gone to prepare a place. He's over there. there. I'm sure this isn't how it happened, but it, I kind of can imagine it this way. People are, you know, they're in the construction working on, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. We don't want that on that side of the house. They want it on this side of the house. They like it better here. Because <laughs> he knows you. And he's gone to prepare a place for you. You'll get great joy from thinking of what God has done. This evil in this world, it's tough. You don't get your joy from the evil. You don't get your joy looking about what's going on here. You get your joy because of what God has pointed you to. Spiritual, supernatural joy comes from what you're looking ahead to and what God has promised you. And it will give you strength in the present. It did for Jesus. It did for Paul. And it could have for Peter. But Peter didn't take it. Take it. Peter didn't follow after it. Could have. The renewal power of joy is available to all who will keep their focus on God and His purpose. The words that he spoke. The enemy is going to try to get you off that purpose by overwhelming you with circumstances and pressure to change or to get your focus on something else. He either wants to change your focus or get your focus somewhere else. Satan will use people and situations, things that we can touch with our flesh. He will use people. He will use situations, things that we can touch with our flesh. God uses his written and spoken word, things we can touch with our spirit. Because you cannot understand his written word without his spirit. And he won't speak to you the spoken word except through his spirit. 
Now, the one that is the most real to you in a crisis is the one you receive your joy from. You want to know where it is? Where do I get my joy from? In a crisis, where do you get your joy from? Do you get it from the happiness and the good things that are going on right now? Or do you get it that God has promised me this, God has said this to me, this is the purpose that God has said to me? Look at the parents in the Walmarts. Anybody been in Walmart this week? I'm not raising my hand. I was not in Walmart this week. Get into Walmart. You look at the parents that are in the, in the lines, walking through the, the aisles, and they're yelling at their kids. They're embarrassing their kids. They're saying things, making threats to their kids to try and get them into a place of obedience. Is there any joy in that situation? Is there any peace in that situation? because God is not in that situation. You cannot as a parent, born again, spirit-filled or not, you cannot as a parent be speaking to your kids the way that these folks are in the Walmarts that you've seen on the, the examples or when you've been going through. I want gum. You cannot be speaking to the kids that way and have your joy come from God. You are in a crisis. Where's your joy coming from? My joy's coming from you being quiet now. You be quiet right now, I'll get some joy. That is a natural flesh joy. The thing is, you sacrifice, those parents have sacrificed so much of their kids for the purpose of getting joy and peace for the moment. That's why it hurts you in your spirit when you see that. You ever seen that? Seen those little situations going on? And it, you know, for us it used to be, you know, the the Acme's and the uh, grocery stores. They always had the, the gum and the candy and the kids would be clamoring for the candy and the gum at the end. And there, that would be the scene that would be going on. A lot of grocery stores now, they have the candy-free aisle. So if you have kids, you can go in through there and there's not going to be no candy. Boring stuff. Books. <laughs> stuff they don't, uh, they, don't, they don't care about until you, you read, oh, candy-free, we go here. Because we don't want to have that, that stuff going on. If you have a boss and they constantly embarrass you, they constantly put you down, does that instill anything inside of you? But you see, if you are a person who is caught up in the joy of God, even with that boss yelling at you, just as Jesus was sitting in the chair and they're grilling him, you can still have that joy giving him strength on the inside. And so can you. You've got to learn how to do it. You're going to be in some crises this week. Some of them are real short crises, only last for a few minutes. Some of them might last for an hour, some might last for a couple of days. Whatever the crisis is, in that crisis, you're going to be tempted to go to your flesh. When you do, you are solidifying that your joy comes through your flesh. And when you get into a real crisis, you won't know how to tap into spiritual joy. You won't know how to do it. But if you can take those little crises, instead of throwing the vase across the room, I'm not going to speak out of that. I'm not going to steal the joy of other people so that I can get a moment of peace. It's not what you're going to do. Because God's joy is eternal. And the people who walk in it remain in joy. And they remain in peace. Regardless of what you do to them. How you speak to them. That's what you've got to get to.
Have a little bit of a look at this at least one more week. Got another example to, to look at because I want you to fully understand how do I tap into this joy all the time so that when I am in crisis, I don't switch and go to something else. You get yourself to the place where when you were in crisis, you don't switch and go to anything else. Now you've got joy that will sustain you and keep that Christian walk all through it. And you will also have a maturity about you that you didn't have before. Things are not throwing you. Things are not moving you. The kids may run around and throw all kinds of tantrums. They're still good. Glory to God. God will show me how to handle this. God will show me what to do. And he shows you. He teaches you. Would you stand up with me? Father, I thank you that your joy is complete, that your joy is fulfilling, and your joy is sustaining. The world is constantly trying to get us to buy into their way of life, their wisdom, their way of solving things. But Father, we want to tap into yours. Yours is the only one that brings satisfaction. Help us as we face some crises this week, some problems that may come up. Help us to face them with the joy of the Lord, that we keep that connection, keep our focus on what is ahead, and make sure that we stay with what God told us to do. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I was listening this week to Brother Hagen's uh, series on um, developing the human spirit. How many people have never been through Brother Hagen's developing your human spirit? Anybody not been through that? A few people. I haven't looked for it on YouTube yet. Maybe I'll, I'll see if it's out on there. But I have the whole series. I have it. I can put it up even in podcasts, so maybe down the road we might, might do. But he was, I was listening to that, and he was going on, I think, in the fourth or fifth, uh, fourth or fifth teaching on it. He was going on about... Um, 1 Corinthians 13, and I've heard him teach this before. You have probably heard him teach this before, but he told his uh, staff at one point, and he's told other people, I think he demanded of his staff, he said, for the next month, I want you to take 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 6 in the Amplified. He liked the Amplified in this. And uh, he said, in the Amplified, I want you to read it every day. He said, in the end of 30 days, you will see that your love walk has grown. So I'll give you the same challenge. Read 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 6, 4 through 7, uh, the little section of 7. Um, read that over. You can just read it in New King James if you want to. The Amplified does add some extra stuff to it. To, he was saying that. I said, yeah, I'm going to check it out in weeks. I'm going to see what he has to say. Because <laughs> he can get a little wordy too on it. But um, sometimes I like the way that he brings that, brings that out. But uh, our love walk can always tend to be improved. You get your love walk infused with the joy of the Lord. The enemy can't stop you. So he's going to try and distract you. He's going to try and get you focused on all the other little things that are going on. You don't have to. Have a great rest of the week. The video teaching will come out uh, tomorrow, 11 o'clock, the usual time. Have a great rest of your day. Bless some people before you go.